The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. It's Sarah Burke here, and this is the Women in Media podcast, a place where I'm exploring the collective challenges and victories that we go through in the spotlight. Now, I face enough challenge being a white woman in this space, but I often think about how different that experience may be for a black colleague. In order for us to be better, you have to work twice as hard. You know, this is a quote that every black person has heard from their parents. And that pressure, being that exceptional black person and still not succeed a lot of the times in these systems, I think that the word mediocre is something that, that all of us have an inversion to, but especially black women, because we're treated like we're mediocre even when we're not. And so for me, I, I love the idea of just like leaning into mediocrity and allowing ourselves, giving us permission to just be fine. My guest today is Kathleen Newman Bermang, a writer, editor, and producer in the Global Deputy Director at Unbothered, Refinery29 subbrand made for and by Black women. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you? Hi, Sarah. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. You've recently stepped into this new role. Mm -hmm. So why don't we start there? Um, Okay. I mean, I know you as someone who worked behind the scenes on the social and in celebrity and entertainment television in Canada, mostly through uh, Liz Trenier, who actually nominated you to come on this podcast. But what led you? That's my bestie, Liz. What got you into Refinery29 and sort of give me a look at your career? Okay. I mean, we could take it back, back and start at the beginning where I met Liz Trenier, um, one of my best friends in the whole world. Uh, we met at Much Music. So I pretty much started my career at Much. Um, I did some internships. I went to journalism school at Ryerson, the school formerly known as Ryerson X University. Um And so I did journalism there and then did some internships. I did an internship at Much, then did an internship at MTV in New York, came back and got hired at Much. And I was working as a production assistant and then an associate producer um, at Much. And then I was like dabbled at being on air as a VJ um, for about a year or so at much. Um, And then I went back to producing, which is what I always wanted to do. I always wanted to be, I always wanted to be behind the scenes, writing, producing, being on camera still isn't my favorite thing. Um, And so from there, yeah, I continued producing under the Bell Media umbrella, which as you know, owned much, owned CTV. Um, and so I worked on the social for five seasons. I was one of the, the founding producers, one of the first producers on that show. Um, and I uh, focused on celebrity and entertainment. And there I met Elaine Louie, who runs Laney Gossip. And while I was at the social, I really wanted to write more. There were things that I was seeing in the Canadian media industry and just in the world that I, I wanted to use my voice a bit more. I, I felt kind of stifled in what I was able to do and of also in upward mobility at that company. And uh, working with Lainey, you know, Lainey has this really incredible platform. She has Lainey Gossip, which is, um, you know, started as a gossip blog, which it still is that, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it has really expanded and Lainey has learned a lot in the past uh, few years. And she has, that has been reflected in the work she puts out on the blog. And so that's really where I, I got to get back into writing and I was blogging for her for years. And that was like my side, I was blogging for her and freelance writing 
as well as producing full-time. And then, um, my freelance writing turned into a full-time gig with refinery 29. Um, and leaving bell was a very hard decision, but ultimately probably the best decision I've ever made in my career. Um, and yeah. And then from Refinery29, I was a staff writer and then a senior writer for the Canadian edition and then moved over to senior editor at Unbothered. Um, and now I'm deputy director global. At now she's Unbothered. global. <laughs> <laughs> now we global, baby. That was a very long answer. I'm sorry. So what attracted you to the Refinery29 brand when you were thinking about moving on? Well, I uh, was recruited by Carly Fortune, who is this incredible editor who's worked in Canadian media forever. She's now writing romance novels. Love that for her. Cannot wait to read her first book, which is coming soon. Um, And I just loved her vision for Refinery29 Canada specifically because um, Canadian media, especially lifestyle um, that focuses on women and puts us at the forefront it's few and far between in this country. And so um, I loved Carly's enthusiasm and passion for for telling women's stories. Um, And then just how much faith and confidence she had in me. And I had not experienced that from a boss, from a boss in a long time, if not ever. And so, you know, she really sold me on, on coming over. And then we got to build Refinery29 Canada, the voice of it editorially together. The brand is really, I don't want to use the word brave. That's the first thing that comes to my mind, but we're just, we're just really honest, brutally honest. Um, and I think that the conversations editorially, and it's not a perfect brand. Uh, it is still owned by a large corporation. Um, and there are some issues that come with that, but with Vice, who owns Refinery29 and with Refinery29, I think the vision has always aligned with my vision and my purpose. And, you know, I, I live my life by the quote uh, by Erica Williams Simon, uh, who is just this incredible Black writer, creator, podcast host. Um, she wrote, Don't ever attach yourself to a person, a place, a company, an organization, or a project. Attach yourself to a mission, a calling, a purpose only. That is how you keep your power and your peace. And I just feel like my purpose even though it is not aligned with a company, it is aligned with Refinery29's vision and their mission to tell women's stories, to tell them authentically, um, to provide joy. Um, Celebrate. That those are all the things that attracted me to to this brand. It's why I'm still still here. Did you have any apprehension about jumping from that big, well-known, maybe security blanket sort of brand and going into something a little more alternative? Yeah, 100 percent. I I think that it's really interesting. I think that if I had uh, been if I had felt supported and if I had been promoted and paid my worth um, and validated in ways that I felt like I deserved at that company, I don't think I would have left because, you know, it is the one of the biggest media companies in Canada. It is the social is an incredible show. It was, you know, really, I felt like I was at the height of Canadian media. So you don't leave, especially it's a small industry. Mm -hmm. There aren't a lot of jobs. Um, And, you know, they'll remind you this, like you should be grateful to be there because there's a lot of people who want to be in that position. Um, And so that's, I would not have left 
if I felt supported and if I had been given the things that I felt like um, my work deserved. And so I was really apprehensive. Um, and, you know, Refiner29 was an American brand. We were starting a whole new thing and it wasn't as established in Canadian media. And so, yeah, I was so nervous. You know, I, I quit and felt really strong in my decision to quit. And then in the weeks after, I was sick about it. Like my anxiety took over and how my brain works is that I second guess everything always. I hear so much of that on this podcast. So it's not just you. (laughs) Overanalyze everything. I'm a Capricorn. I just like overanalyze. And as much as I'm like good at making a decision, I second guess it. Um, And so, yeah, I didn't think I made the right decision. I thought I was making the worst decision in my career um, in the weeks after. And then when I started at Refinery29 and I had the autonomy to use my voice and tell the stories I wanted to tell and not have to fight every day with someone to tell those stories. Um, then I was like, okay, I, I made the right decision, but yeah, leaving such a big corporation. And then just feeling like, uh, the way I left was, um, the way I left was not received very well, I will say, from some of the higher ups there who are no longer there. Um, and so I felt like I had burned a bridge. And when you burn a bridge in Canadian media, there's only like three bridges. <laughs> so I was very, very concerned about that. And I was very worried that I had lost um, this like safety blanket that I had in, in being in such a big corporation. Cause once you get in, you know, it, some people stay in forever. Um, and I was, I was very concerned um, that I wouldn't be, ever be able to get back in if I wanted to, like if this didn't work out, then I'd be screwed. I was nervous and I was worried, but I do think that one of the good things about social media, about the different ways, about podcasts, about the different ways in which we're able to tell stories and get our work out there is that these, these legacy organizations, these legacy corporations like a Bell Media, like a Rogers, um, like a Chorus, those legacy organizations, you know, they have been the gatekeepers. They have upheld a lot of the structural problems and inequities in this industry. And I think that you're seeing smaller outlets and other people being able to share their media they're coming in and saying that it, it doesn't have to just be those legacy organizations. Um, it doesn't just have to be one way in one lane um, that gives the opportunities to, to journalists and to people in media in this country. And I think that's a good thing. Um, and so I think we do have to get out of the mindset that like Abel Media is the only place that you can go to work in Canada. And the reality is that it is. But it also doesn't have to be. And I I see that changing, which I think is a good thing. It's a very exciting time. Yeah, because there's people like yourself, but everywhere shaking things up right now, for sure. Yeah, it's got to be it's got to be shaken up. And that's the thing. I I had so many amazing friends who still work for that company, who still work for the big other media companies in Canada. And that's good. And that's okay. And we need those people there. We need those people changing stuff from the inside. But I think it is important to know that they cannot be the be all and end all, especially since a lot of them are still run by the same people who have upheld these systems that marginalize us. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to make sure I read this properly. 
hold on because I wrote a note. So you wrote an essay not too long ago um, for black women in media, a dream job is a myth. Tell me about what was coming out on the page when you were putting that essay together and how much it has to do with what you went through. Oh, it has everything to do with what I went through. So I wrote this in July, 2020. Um, and we know that in May, June, 2020, um, after George Floyd was murdered by police, uh, there was this quote unquote racial reckoning. Um, I don't love that term. It feels too like cutesy and catch all for trendy. The, yeah. The grief and the pain that was happening at that time. But this is what we call it in hindsight. We call it the racial reckoning of 2020, right? And not only was the world grappling with the reality of anti-Black racism in America and Canada and around the world, uh, I think that a lot of people were finally saying all the things that so many Black people, especially Black people in the workplace, have been talking about for so long. And a lot of white people, non-Black people, we're finally seeing them all alongside with us. Um, and so it felt like a time for people to finally pull the curtain down um, and lift the veil off of so much of our, our daily experience with racism. And so I saw colleagues, I saw my peers in the industry telling their stories. And it just felt like nobody was really talking about what happens here in Canada. It was a, a lot of oh, well, that's happening over there, which Canada loves to do. Loves to say that, <laughs> you know, racism, that's an American problem. And we know that that's not true. And so this story just came from, I felt like I had to, I couldn't, I, I felt hypocritical for me to spend my career talking about these issues and then not tell my own story. Yeah. And I had just uh, appeared on the social. The social uh, had a special um, all black panel episode. And I had just appeared on the show and I had on the show said, you know, I know that I was the only black producer on that show. And so I'm gone. There are no other black producers on that show. I knew that. And so I, I said it out loud because I was like, I can't be on this panel and not hold them accountable. And that accountability came from love because again, I love that show. I helped build it. Um, and so I said that out loud and then I, I was just like, okay, but there were so many other things that happened in that building that are, that are still happening in that building that I had to talk about. And so this piece came from that. And I also, the, the, the title, a dream job is a myth. Um, that also came from knowing my privilege in this industry and knowing that I was, the exception and the exception because of so many different things in where I was educated and that I grew up in predominantly white spaces. So I know how to navigate predominantly white spaces as a black person, um, how I look, how I speak, all of those things are why I was the exception. And so I had the dream jobs, quote unquote, but I knew that I had them because of all these privileges that I have and that even with all of that, this is what I experienced. Mm, and so yeah. to me, that shows you how systemic and how broken the system is. If me, the exception, 
is still going through all this, 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 and this. And so I felt like it was a story I had to tell and I had to call out a, the privileges that I have, the experiences that I had, and how much of it is systemic and embedded into the everyday experience of Black journalists in Canada. Now, I know we, you know, we do a lot of talking about the bad experiences and the trauma associated with it, but in your case, there's a lot to celebrate. And also at Refinery29, I think you guys do a really good job at that. Um, so like, what's something that you wish would have been more celebrated that you accomplished? back then? Oh, there's so many. I love this question. There are so many things to celebrate. And I think that that was also kind of the point of the essay is that I did experience a lot of incredible, amazing things in my career. And there were a lot of wins. Um, but with the wins come the, those other things. What is one thing I wish was celebrated more? Like if you I could mean, right now sit down with like a former boss and be like, how come you didn't say anything about that awesome thing I did? Oh my gosh. I mean, <laughs> there are so many things. I think that back at much, um, we had this just like brilliant young team and we were telling them things and bringing things onto the show that were so ahead of their time. Um, and you know, we call much music, the like blockbuster of music television because they just didn't go online fast enough. They didn't adapt fast enough. Um, but we were telling them to adapt. And I think that, you know, there's so many like small, we had like shows within a shows. I used to produce the show called text our next. That was like a bachelor esque show yeah. uh, within this show called, um, new music live. And it was brilliant just to toot my own horn. And, um, yeah, it just, you know, the higher ups didn't really give it that much of a shot. Um, Tyrone Edwards hosted rap city and we did some just incredible stuff with that show. And it, it was celebrated. I don't want to take away from how much it was celebrated by a certain group, but I kind of wish the higher ups noticed it more. Um, as well as some of the on-camera work that I did at the time, which I mean, again, how my anxiety works. I beat myself up a lot about not being good enough in, in that side of my job. But I think I was actually pretty good. And I wish that um, I had the support as such a young journalist um, and broadcaster that I had the support of someone being like, no, you're doing a good job. And if you're not, here's how you could fix that, which I think is, is the, support the mentor. Piece. The support and the mentorship um, is missing, especially for women of color in this industry. And then I just think there was a lot of things that uh, I did as a producer on the social that, um, yeah, I feel like I was not, um, do I want to say this? <laughs> um, yeah, there was a lot of things um, in my producing career, you know, where I was, championing guests and conversations that I don't think were happening anywhere else in Canadian television. And some of them made it on the show. And I'm really proud. I think that what the social has turned into, uh, I'm so proud of the conversations that they have, the guests that they have on. And I think that I was instrumental in, in the beginning of, of making sure that that voice was there um, as much as I could. And one of the biggest compliments I've ever gotten is people saying, I knew there was a black producer on that show. <laughs> like I was watching the show being like, there's gotta be a black woman in the room. And She's I'm gotta like, be there. Yo, I'm like, the fact that that came through, 
and all the the fights I got through, I went in all of the the pain <laughs> that it took to even get that like small sliver sliver of content out that people recognized that there was a black woman on the show behind the scenes. Um, that's a, that's a massive compliment to me. And I think that that is uh, a credit to the, the people there who allowed that to happen. But also I think it's uh, a testament to that they should have let more of that content come through. Um, and I think that's a lesson that they're still learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting. Like while you were saying all this, I'm like, I wonder what she thought of the TikTok launch, you know, cause a lot oh, the of this music TikTok, TikTok launch. Yeah. Cause a lot yeah. of the stuff that you're sort of talking about every media platform right now is after something niche that's interesting and unique. And it sounds like, you know, you were doing a lot of those things that could have been like the predecessor of let's say TikTok oh. content. It's wild. My, one of my best friends, Tim Chan, who um, is uh, executive at Rolling Stone now, he's brilliant. Like I said, I mean, if I could rattle off who started at much, who was in those rooms and the jobs they have now, it's like, why did you just let us do whatever we wanted? Because, <laughs> you know, we're brilliant. Yeah, true, truly. But um, Tim produced this show called Trending in like 2011. And it was about beauty influencers and like their unboxing and them doing tutorials. It was TikTok. However many years ago that was like, I'm just, and, and they, I mean, they canceled it after like three episodes or something. They just did not give it a, a chance at all. Yeah. And I just, I think of how before it's time that was. Um, and there's, there's a million stories like that. There also are so many people, um, when I talk about the discrimination that happens in this industry, there are so many people that we don't know their names. We don't know their stories because they left because this, the, them constantly having to fight every day for their ideas and for, um, their content to actually make it on air, or even just the microaggressions that they faced on a daily basis they left, they left the industry and went somewhere else. And Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for those people for even those like little incremental change that they created while they were were in it. Mm -hmm. But I also feel so sad of the talent that this industry has lost because of all that. Mm -hmm. In a competitive industry, it doesn't take a lot for people to give up if they don't have the right, you know. Yeah, I I mean, I don't even know if I love the the phrase and give up because um, when you're forced out of somewhere, is that necessarily giving up? You know, it's just like, how much more can you take? Is, yeah. Um, yeah, is, is how I look at it. And it's, it's really unfortunate and embarrassing for the industry and for mm-hmm. the people who have run this industry that, 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 that the brain drain and the talent that has been lost. Mm-hmm. It's Sarah Burke here, the host of the Women in Media podcast and the founder of the Women in Media Network. Yep, now there's an entire network. I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it. But I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel Instant Mushroom Coffee from Organic Traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with lion's mane mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. 
And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to OrganicTraditions.com and use the promo code WOMENINMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. So in this, uh, you know, in this podcast that you host, Go Off Sis, you know, it's mentorship that we're talking about here. And, you know, I'm certain that there are some themes and consistent things that come up on that podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are some of the things that, you know, really concern you about the current state of what young people are going through in this industry right now? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot. So Go Off Sis is is a really joyful podcast, I'll say, that I co-host with um, my colleagues at R2Dine Unbothered. And we just like kiki about everything. So we talk about work, we talk about relationships, we talk about, we just had this episode on, on motherhood and fertility and whatever that looks like for you and however old you are, um, what like family looks like. And uh, a few of my co-hosts on that show are really young. Like we have some really young members of our team who are really just at the beginning of their careers. And I am so excited. They make me so excited because of their talent and their energy and their ideas. They're not jaded by anything yet. (laughs) Not yet. No. And they're so confident. They're so confident, which is a thing that, and I'll put that on me early in my career. Like I did not have the confidence to stand up for myself. And this next generation is really confident and really has the language to um, arm themselves and to empower themselves, which is really beautiful to see. But I also, you know, I try not to bring like the jaded, uh, older, I'm not that old, I'm very young still, but I try not to bring the like jaded, you know, person (laughs) experience into the room room because I I still want them to have that, that passion and that uh, excitement for their jobs. But I also feel like there are some warnings you want to give. And I think that one of the biggest things the next generation is coming up against is that our industry is just shrinking and um, there are fewer outlets than there used to be. Um, there are fewer well-paying jobs with benefits than there used to be. Um, and it is really hard. It's something that's on my conscience all the t- on my conscience all the time when people ask me for advice or of getting into this industry. And they ask me, well, how did you do it? How should I do it? Part of me wants to be like, don't do it. Part of me wants to be like, you need a backup. You need a an other a career if you want to actually make money in this industry. Um, I feel that, sister. Still, <laughs> right? Like I yeah. sometimes I I feel like I can't in good faith tell people to get into journalism in Canada without telling them that you know I've been through multiple layoffs at multiple places and seen my friends and colleagues lose their jobs like that. And with companies that do not care about them. That's why going back to that quote, I live my life by 
I got to attach myself to a mission of calling or a purpose because these companies do not care about us. They don't. They care about their bottom lines. They care about money. They do not care about you. Your work is not your family. So that's one of the biggest pieces of advice I give. But I worry about, yeah, this next generation and actually getting jobs and being able to support themselves um, in this industry on their own. Um, And so I think that's a big challenge. But I also think that, you know, it's exciting some of the different outlets they have. You know, I think of Brandon Gomez, who left CB24 and started his own YouTube channel. The Brandon Gomez show is so popular and so exciting. And I'm so proud of him. And that's a really exciting thing. He's an example I give to people of like, first of all, network across find your peers. He made that show with his friends and with other people, his age who are as excited and fired up. Um, and so as much as there are a lot of challenges, if you go the traditional route, there are different routes to take and lean on each other, lean on your friends, lean on, um, your peers who are the same age as you. Um, and as much as you do need support and mentorship in this industry, I think that there is power in uh, your community. Mm-hmm. What you were saying about, uh, you know, the team that you have at Refinery29 who are sort of up and coming sort of reminded me a lot about what Kayla Gray said on this podcast about her uh, team at The Shift and how she's so excited about what like the new kids are bringing to the table and yeah. all of that. What's something that we can change and especially like the younger generation that you're working with at Refinery29, what's, you know, a new mission that you kind of see? I think the biggest thing is that power in numbers and community that I mentioned, because I think for so long I felt so alone. And I think that one of uh, the ways that I I got out of that and that I was able to gain confidence was uh, leaning on my friend's who are also women of color or black women specifically. You mentioned Kayla Gray. She's one of my best friends. I don't know if I would still be in this industry without her, without her to the community of it. And so I think that one of the biggest missions and purposes for the next generation, I think would be to do things for that community and not for your bosses or the executives or for the next job or for the next title. Because once you shift that, to who am I telling this story for? And am I satisfied with it? Am I empowered by it? Are they? Instead of what does my boss want to hear? That changes everything. That's your views. Everything. That's your listenership, your viewership, your everything. And if you cater to the people who are going to watch you, then right there, there's the money. 100%. And I think that that definition of who's going to watch you when that comes, especially in Canadian media, when that comes from these executives or older white men and women specifically, they tell you that that audience is also older white people. And so that you have to cater to those people only. That's what they tell you. That's what I was raised in this industry being told. And that's just not true. That's not what our country looks like. And that's not, that should not be the goal ever. And so I think that shifting that, shifting that mentality and really just thinking of it in community storytelling um, is I I really think the, the next generation has that 
on point. Um, and I, yeah, that's really powerful, powerful. And I think that, um, it's already happening, but I would love to see it more. And I would love to see that next generation empowered by the people in power, <laughs> just spitting bars over here. Um, I would love to see that next generation empowered to do that more and given, um, the autonomy and the resources to do that. In your new global position, you know, you're catering to a market in the UK, a market in the US, market in Canada. What are some of the things that remain the same and consistent depending uh, or sort of like through all these markets? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, there are a lot of things. I mean, I think one of the goals at Unbothered this year is to show a more diasporic look at blackness and know that we are not a monolith, um, that the black experience is different in the UK and in Canada and in the U S but there are also things that, um, that join us that unite us. Um, and I think one of the things that stays the same is that we all want to be spoken to this goes back to what we were talking about where, you know, so much of media doesn't speak to black women. Um, and in every market, when you prioritize those stories and that voice, uh, it's, it's received very, very well. One of the other things that crosses like specifically like the UK, Canada, the U S is, um, this like love of pop culture and of cultural criticism, which is what I do. Um, and I think that it's, there are the conversation about representation, I think has evolved. And so for a long time, it was just like, we need more black people on television and in movies, which is true. 100% we do. I have spent a lot, a long time and a lot of my career pushing for that, but we also need a lot of black people behind the scenes telling the stories. Uh, it matters what those depictions are. So there could be more black people on television, but what, uh, are those characters? Do they have depth? What are they saying? What are they doing? What do they look like to talk about the colorism conversation? Um, and so I think that is across the board, you know, um, across the diaspora, people want uh, those stories and to see themselves reflected, but also to see themselves reflected in, a, in, a, in an authentic way. Yeah, I mean, uh, I love this question. I think it's, it's a question where I'm like, answering in this position is what are the things that unite us? What are the things that separate us and how can we tell those stories? What's something shocking that you sort of hadn't really thought of until this new role, something that maybe opened up a new part of your brain. Oh, there's so many new parts of my brain that are being opened up. <laughs> um, so many, uh, first of all, there are so many meetings, so many meetings. Um, there is a lot of selling. And I think that in this industry, that word um, selling, um, is looked at negatively. And I think I've done that in the past, but you do need to sell yourself and sell your brand and, um, you know, figure out ways to communicate your vision, figure out ways to communicate what it is you do and what you can offer to advertisers. Yes, because money runs the world, um, and <laughs> to your audience, um, and so that's, uh, that's a new part of my brain that I'm unlocking, um, because I, I need to be better at 
that part. Um, and I think I'm getting better at it and it's, and it's a great part of this new position. And then also just, you know, being a manager, I think that, um, that is also something that, uh, we don't really think about as like young journalists just wanting to tell stories that, you know, if you do get to the point where you get to make decisions and drive the content, you are going to be managing other people at some point. Um, and that's a whole other skill, which is, made so much easier because our team is incredible. I get to work with black women all day, every day. It is a dream come true. And our team is so smart and so amazing. And so it makes it easy for me to, um, be able to, uh, you know, support them. And that's, I think my biggest job as a manager, but yeah, that's like a whole different part of my brain that's being unlocked. New territory. I, I feel you on that because I'm, I'm a gal that came from being, a live afternoon drive rock radio host. I'm now managing a team and I'm like, what? Work doesn't start at 1 p.m.? Oh, okay. <laughs> right. So yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a shock to my system as well. So I want to give you a chance to actually, you know, nominate a few women to come on this podcast. Tell me about some women that you really admire. Right before we do that, though, we can't leave this conversation without talking about your latest piece. Why Black women are divesting from excellence and embracing mediocrity. Tell me about this piece. What inspired it? Your dad and how his upbringing played such a big role in where you were writing from. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're going to need a whole other hour if I get into my dad. But um, yeah, so this piece... We, um, do, it's called a package. Um, so it's like a series of stories, um, every black history month and it's called our roots package. Um, and it's led by unbothered on refinery 29. And, uh, for this year, we really wanted to explore black excellence and just this idea because every February that term black excellence is emblazoned everywhere. And, uh, we talk about the first, you know, the first black U S vice president. We talk about the first black Academy award winners, Sydney Poitier and Halle Berry, uh, Kamala Harris, obviously was the first person I was talking about. Um, we talk about these people who have been exceptions and exceptional, and we put them under this tag of black excellence. Um, and I think that that was, which started as this really beautiful, uh, important thing and a way to push back on terrible stereotypes, stereotypes that black people were lazy or not smart or not excellent. That's is what it started from. And I think it has turned into this push for white validation and this push to succeed in systems that continue to oppress us, like mm -hmm. the US government, like the Academy of Motion Pictures and Arts. So for me, it was like, and that term, because I was raised in a household with a black African father, my dad is from Ghana and my mom is, is from Jamaica. And they both actually were very much about excelling and, and, and this is just how they were raised too. Like they were just raised to, to be better. And in order for us to be better, you have to work twice as hard. You know, this is a quote that every black person has heard from their parents. Um, and that pressure of working twice as hard or three times as hard or whatever it is. And um, being that exceptional black person who has to kill ourselves to work so hard and be so excellent and still not succeed a lot of the times in these systems 
or succeed at the expense of, because if you succeed in a system and you, and you don't change it, then you are uh, contributing to the thing in that system that continues to oppress other black people. And so for me, it was just like, I have been feeling, especially in the pandemic, um, ambition is a word that I would use uh, in the past to, to really be like one of the tenets of my personality. Like I'm ambitious. I work hard. I love my job. I love my work. I put all of that first before everything else. Um, and during this pandemic, I've kind of let go of a lot of that. And also then though you feel like you're like letting down a lot of people because of this like black excellence catch all thing. And I knew that other black women were feeling that as well. And so I talked to a lot of them. I kind of looked inward in myself and I wrote this piece that is resonating with so many people, which is amazing. Um, and it just also gives me like the freedom, that word mediocre, you know, I'm, we're talking about work. This is a podcast about work. And I think that the word mediocre is something that, that all of us have an inversion to, but especially black women is like, because we're treated like we're mediocre, even when we're not. So that word I think is just such a trigger for us. But I also am like, I would love to embrace it because how many mediocre white people get to succeed, get to like live their lives in this just averageness and it doesn't eat them apart inside. And so for me, I, I love the idea of just like leaning into mediocrity and allowing ourselves, giving us permission to just be fine. That's okay. And it's like, you could be excellent. Of course you can, but like, you can also be excellent tomorrow. You can also take a break, take a nap today and go do it tomorrow yeah. or not. I mean, it also includes the, the people who are never going to be super excellent in this like very rigid definition of that word. There are a lot of black people who are not going to do that. So this term of black excellence excludes those people. Like unattainable. Totally. It's unattainable. And it also just excludes like the things that um, are barriers to that, like uh, our education system, like poverty, like capitalism, like all of these things. Um that contribute to that. And so to me, there's just like freedom in this word, mediocre. And um, I just, yeah, just let it all out in this piece. And I think that, uh, you know, writing it to kick off Black History Month was really important to me as well. From my seat at any table, whether it's like booking for this podcast, at, you know, my nine to five job, a lot of the time I'm thinking about these things and I'm asking myself, how can I do a better job at making sure I'm not enforcing something that is systemic, right? That's mm -hmm. sort of part of the role that I can play. And, you know, even though you and I have been like corresponding for a couple months and everything, I worry about tokenism all the time, right? Like how to do it properly. Mm -hmm. And this piece is such a good way for like the average person to think about all the things in the system. So thank you for mm -hmm. writing it. Thank you so much for reading. And I'm so glad that in your new role, you can not only oversee content strategy, but you can make some of it yourself because that's important too. You're so good at it. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, that's, that's another thing that has unlocked other parts of my brain because I'm also trying to practice what I preach in that, like giving myself a break, giving myself oh, yeah. time to just like nap and be chill and be mediocre sometimes. But um, yeah, in this new role, it's, it's a lot, especially me trying to want to write and create myself as well as oversee content strategy. Um, it's all amazing. It's all good things. Yeah. 
uh, but it's a lot. And so, you know, I got to remind myself to, uh, relax, to, uh, practice self self care. Mm-hmm. Um, but practice self care so that I can be my best self to then give back to my community and to do all the things and support other black women in this industry and others coming up behind me. Okay. So before we get off here, give me some women who you love, respect, admire, and would have amazing stories to tell on a podcast, like the women in media podcast. I mean, I feel like you've said so many people that are, I would have dominate because they're my friends. Um, but I'm going to nominate, um, my fellow, uh, Canadian screen award change maker recipient, um, and I swear I didn't just say that just to drop that I am a Canadian Screen Award change maker recipient. But hell yeah. <laughs> um, so along with myself and Kayla Gray, who has already been on this podcast, Amanda Paris is one of the recipients and she is a change maker in every sense of the word, even though, you know, I, I think that for her and myself, uh, awards are kind of strange and weird and um, complicated, but Amanda has been doing this work for so long and she is such an inspiration to me. She is a playwright, an author, uh, incredible writer. She writes this column, Black Light on CBC. She is a host um, and incredible broadcaster. She has been champion championing Black stories in Canada for so long, Black arts in Canada for so long. Amanda Paris is incredible and- okay. If you talk to her, I just want to listen to it. Um, and then there is B Kwame, who is a writer friend of mine, who I'm just such a massive fan of. She uh, writes about uh, pop culture sometimes. She writes about the education system in Canada. She writes about motherhood, um, Black motherhood specifically. She has two beautiful daughters, and I'm just I am not a parent myself, but I love her writing on motherhood. Um, she's brilliant. Um, and then finally, I am going to pay it forward to Carly Fortune, who I've already mentioned, who it was my editor and boss at Refinery29 Canada. And she is now uh, an author um, of romance novels. And oh, yeah. but. Yeah, but she, you know, first of all, it's just fascinating, that story, to go from media <laughs> to writing romance novels. But she just, she knows this industry so well, and I still hit her up for uh, advice all the time. Well, it has been such a pleasure speaking to you, and thank you for all your insight surrounding these conversations we're definitely having for February, but conversations that we should be having all year round. Oh, yeah, that part, you know, yeah, it's... um. Be about this life 365, not just in February, and that is what we do at Unbothered. Um, please check us out if you haven't already. But yeah, know that um, talking about blackness and the joys and the triumphs, but also uh, the tribulations and the inequities that still exist in these systems, um, should be something that you're thinking about and talking about every day, all the time. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I highly recommend you checking out some of Kathleen's work in Refinery29. I've got links in the episode notes and on my website, womeninmedia.ca. And if it's the last thing you do this month, make sure you read that article we were talking about, Why Black Women Are Divesting from Excellence and Embracing Mediocrity. 
Do me a solid and subscribe on your favorite podcast service if you're loving the conversations on this podcast. Share this episode with someone you think needs to hear it. And follow along at the handle Women in Media Pod for more updates and video. Thank you so much for listening. Back in your ears with a brand new episode in two weeks. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's us luck? This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.